What does Kathy's running career have to do with your Easter? All will be revealed today as we continue our series called Fundamentals of Faith. And we're putting this uh, series together with a bunch of topics, a range of things that we can speak about, essentially to bring us back to the simple disciplines and the fundamental aspects of our Christian faith. And we've spoken uh, about grace, the unmerited favor of God that he extends toward mankind. Last week, Phil Brown uh, shared a message, a fantastic message on the authenticity and authority of the Bible. And there were pictures of dinosaurs and references to Star Trek, but most importantly, Star Wars. But most importantly, uh, the evidence was presented that the Bible is true and that it can be counted on. It's a fantastic message. If you didn't hear it, grab it on the church app and and have a listen. I'm also happy to say that I've just confirmed a friend of mine, Dr. Michael Brown, who's going to come in May and he's going to speak about Jesus who is evidenced in the Old Testament and the New Testament as a promise of God. And uh, he's excited to come and share about that and I'm excited that he would be with us. Uh, It's likely that we're going to speak about unconditional love as part of the series. It's possible that we might speak about propitiation. But next week also it's highly likely that we'll speak about the vicarious death of Jesus Christ as a substitute for us. I mean, next weekend is Easter, right? Speaking of Easter, Holy Week begins today. Holy Week begins today, and I suppose the question is probably still rattling around in your mind, what does Kathy's running career and her success in running have to do with Holy Week? All will be revealed. I remember when her short but prosperous running career began, I was sitting in an airport in Chicago and watching a game of baseball, enjoying a big pizza, and and Jackson sent me this message. Watch out, Dad. And like all husbands, my response was, "Uh uh-oh, what did I do? And he said, no, he says, Mum and Auntie Chris have just signed up for a fun run. And I was like, my life will never be the same again. What started as a burst of enthusiasm, what I love about the story is it was only maintained by Kathy's deep resolve and commitment to her goals. But I knew my life of comfort was about to change. Sure enough, Kathy... And two of his two sisters both successfully completed not one 5K run, but a series of three. And me and the kids, well, we're the support crew, so thankfully donuts were still allowed. Um, it, was, it, was, it was a fun season. It was great. I'm really proud of what she achieved, um, especially someone that never really made sport part of her life. Suddenly it became a big part of it for all of us. And look, I I bet if you ask really nicely, she'll show you her medals. Because it's all about the medals. And you have to ask yourself, what does this have to do with Easter weekend? Well, it will be revealed. Because it's Holy Week. 
and Easter is coming. I was thinking about Easter is what we're preparing, like what are we going to do and how are we going to map out the, the activities and what's on our calendar and who are we connecting with. And I was thinking about Easter and we were praying in the pre-service prayer meeting this morning and, and, and I reckon it's a bit easier for us because we're on the far side of the cross as far as history goes. The cross is history, we can look back and we can see it and we can process the events surrounding Easter from the context of history. It's easy for us. Not comfortable, but easy. But what about if you, reading the stories, what about if you put yourself in the sandals of those that are on the far side before it happened? Not so easy. Because the cross was promised, it was anticipated in some ways, but it certainly wasn't comprehended. There was no doubt, as you read the scriptures leading up to the birth of Christ, that it was coming. But they didn't work it out. And you can tell that by the comments that they made, the questions that they asked, and the way that they journeyed with Jesus in this cloud of confusion. But what it does mean, as I was thinking about this, that the ministry and the life of Jesus Christ, especially in this week, was all about preparing his friends for their coming salvation. Preparation for the coming salvation. And Holy Week is all about you and me preparing ourselves for the coming salvation. Part of preparing ourselves, for some people, you can see on the screen there, is they observe Lent. Anyone here ever observed Lent in their life before? One, two, three, a few. Long time ago, right. Well, Lent is a, a practice that was began by the church in the 3rd and 4th century. And if you read history, it appears like there was a letter written by St. Arrhenius to Pope St. Victor who mentioned about the practice of self-denial. And I wasn't at the Nicene Council, but the council in Nicaea almost ratified the disciplines in 325 AD and said there shall be 40 days. Because 40 days is a time of preparation in the Old Testament. 40, days in the, 40 years in the wilderness, Jesus was in the desert 40 days. It's a period of preparation. And there are many versions of Lent. And uh, so I went right back to the Catholic Church documentation to try and understand it a bit more. And there, there are some principles that they're firm on and there are others that they're flexible on. Some eat meat on Fridays, others don't meet at all. Some people put aside certain things that they prefer as a way of going without in order that they would understand the sacrifice that's coming. But th this, this one statement, let me read this. I found this by one of the Catholic priests that I thought was encouraging. Although the practices may have evolved over the centuries, the focus remains the same. To repent of sin, to renew our faith, and to prepare to celebrate joyfully the mysteries of our salvation. This, in essence, is the core behind the discipline of, 
of, of, of um, practicing Lent. And part of that is the culmination of what we call Holy Week. Holy Week begins today, the Sunday before Easter. It's how many churches prepare their hearts leading up to the remembrance of Easter. Holy Week is how we remember Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Many, many churches across the world today will be waving palm branches in their services and having joyful processions as they shout, Hosanna, 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 because Jesus Christ was welcomed in the same way as he came into Jerusalem. We're going to look at that shortly. Monday, Thursday, as you can see on the screen there, is about celebrating what we now call the Last Supper, but they didn't call it that when they enjoyed it. They sat around the table and Jesus said, we must prepare the, far, the Passover meal together. But now we know it was his Last Supper. So when we come around the table, when we join together this coming Thursday evening, we're going to celebrate and remember the Passover meal that Jesus shared with his friends and the significance of it. That evening, Jesus also gathered some water in a basket or in a bucket and, and he got down and he washed the feet of his disciples. And in some traditional churches, many priests will come down and they will wash the feet of 12 poor men in connection with the act of Jesus Christ. Good Friday is about remembering the passion of the Christ the suffering that he went through to go to the cross and ultimately to his death. It's a really sober and somber day as we remember the physical nature of his death, the, 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 the shame that he bore as, as Jan just shared with his beard being pulled out, the scorn as he was ridiculed and lashed, not just with whips but with words. Um, it's believed traditionally that he died in three in the afternoon, and so the, the Catholic Church down here, St. Pat's, are, are having a commemorative service at 3 p.m. on Friday. That's when they gather to remember. Easter Saturday, as you can see on the screen, is called the Easter Vigil. And the best way to explain it is for me to quote from an expert. Holy Saturday is a vigil. Easter Vigil takes place after sunset on Holy Saturday to highlight the church's vigil or waiting for the resurrection of Jesus. The darkness of the night and the darkness of the church reminds us of the darkness of the tomb from which Jesus rose. And if you look at the service uh, invitation that was in the paper this week, you'll notice that, again, the Catholic Church has a commemorative service. And for the Catholic Church, this is the time of year when those that have been preparing themselves for the holy baptism will be received into the Catholic Church. It's a significant night as they remember the vigil of waiting in the darkness for a Savior that had not yet risen. And Easter Sunday, and I said this before, is all about celebration. We will say, he is risen. He is risen indeed. For we celebrate 
the historical fact that Jesus Christ overcame death and exited the tomb by the power of God in order that he would show us the way to life eternal. Paul writes in his letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 15, near the end of the chapter, he says, O death then, where is your victory? Where is your sting? For sin, the sting that causes death, will all be gone, and the law which reveals our sin will no longer be our judge. How we thank God for all of this. It is he who makes us victorious through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. At the end of uh, my time, I'm going to share this with you. I'll post it on the social. Maybe you take a photo of it or write the notes down because I'm going to encourage you this week to remember Holy Week, to do something that points you because this is fundamental to your faith. This is essential, Faith 101, that you would prepare yourself to celebrate the mysteries of your coming salvation. I mean, if it's good enough for Jesus to lead his friends in their preparation, I think it's probably good enough for us to do the same. Jesus prepared his friends, and I want to point to some things in leading up to Easter And I want to point to why I think Jesus did them. Because Scripture builds a pathway for us ultimately to come into relationship with God. I want to look at a string of events that happened leading up to the week of his death. This week we prayed through um, the rising of Lazarus, John chapter 14. And if you're taking notes, John chapter 11, sorry, verse 14 and 15. Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. Do you remember what happened? Lazarus was his friend. Lazarus was not well. Lazarus um, asked that they would summon Jesus because he knew that Jesus would bring healing. Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, They were anxious, they were upset, their hearts were broken because Jesus was delayed and didn't come and Lazarus died. As per the, the tradition of the Jews, they do not leave the dead body outside the tomb overnight and the day that he died, they prepared his tomb and they put him in the crevice and they put the stone in front of it. He was buried in a tomb. Jesus delayed. So in the home of Mary and Martha, they're grieving. As the Jews do, they gathered and they remembered and they they prayed and they wailed for their loss. And Jesus says to his disciples as he's some distance off, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Jesus knew that he had to demonstrate the power, his power, over death before his own resurrection. It's kind of like there had to be a way that he could substantiate the truth that he was going to be risen that would overcome the accusations and the gossip that it was a trick that the disciples played. They stole his body. 
But Jesus says, no, no, look at this, verse 15. I did this that you may believe. Here's the key, that you may believe. And I'll show you what I think that means in the next slide. You just keep reading the story, and this is the way John records it. In John chapter 12, sometime later, Jesus comes back to the house of Lazarus. He comes back for a meal, and there's a celebration because the dude that was dead is in the party. Mary and Martha are running around. Martha's doing more running than Mary. And in the middle of the celebration, when everyone's going, far out, man, dude was dead. We saw him in the grave. And yet he's not dead. He's here with us. Jesus is at that meal. Mary comes in. And you read about it in the beginning of John chapter 12. She breaks open this jar of perfume, of oil, scented oil. It was a treasure because it was worth one year's wages of the time. So today's money, that's, that's quite an expensive jar of perfume. She breaks it open. And, and this is not like you just pop the lid off and put the cork back in. No, no, broken, spent, used. And the aroma filled the house and she's, she just, she, she's bowing at the feet of Jesus and she, she takes her hair out of its covering and she wipes the feet of Jesus with it. And the disciples are indignant. What a waste. Like this perfume is worth a year's wages. And Judas, who's like money bags, greedy dude, the one that would betray Jesus, he's like, you could have taken that money and done something good with it. Well, he wanted it in the box so he could steal it. And Jesus says this, don't miss this. John chapter 12, verse 7, Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. This is before the cross. For the poor you'll have with you always, but me you will not have always. What's he doing? I'll show you what I think in a minute. If you keep reading John chapter 12, you come to the verses that I read earlier at the opening of our service where what's called the triumphant procession. Let me get these up on the screen for you. The, the triumphant procession where he comes into Jerusalem on a donkey and the palm branches are waving and the people are quoting scripture from the Old Testament. And they're saying, Jesus is our king. Glory to the king. And they were laying down their robes before him to walk over and waving palm branches around. It was a celebration. The, the city of Jerusalem was going nuts. And there's lots of people there because it was about preparation for the Passover meal and the feast of the celebrations that God had commanded them to come back to Jerusalem for, so they're all there. You know, this story is told in all four Gospels, which says something of the significance of it. When God inspired the apostles to write the four Gospels, he made sure every single one of them included the triumphant procession. In the days of Jesus, palm branches were a sign of goodness. They were a sign of provision, and they were a sign of victory. So if you're in the desert, and you're on your camel or your donkey or you're walking, as most of them did, if you saw a palm tree in the distance, you knew there was provision ahead. Whether it was dates, food, or just water, you knew that you would find provision When a king was victorious in battle and they'd come back to their home city, the people would take those palm branches of God's provision and they would wave them saying, God has made us victorious. 
So what are they symbolizing? The goodness of God, the provision of God, and the victory of God as Jesus comes in. But Jesus isn't on a horse. Because when a king rides on a horse, a king wants to go to war. Jesus wasn't going to war. And the people sing the words of Zechariah chapter 9, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. I wonder what that means. In John 13, we read, as I said before, the story of the Passover feast. The meal where Jesus gathers them together and they go into the upper room and they prepare the, the roasted lamb and the flat breads with no yeast in them and the bitter herbs. And there was a process to the meal that God had ordained for them. And Jesus followed that. We do it to remember his death and his sacrifice for us. But when he was doing it, they were doing it as commanded by God to remember that God had delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery, as he passed over the Jewish ones and the Egyptians lost their firstborn son. Question is, what do these represent for us today? One writer says this, Our minds and hearts should be fixed on Jesus and what he did for us. Let us bear the cross so that we might be worthy of bearing the crown. So what does this mean? Because you're looking at this game was a good story, history, but what does it mean for me? And there's rich meaning for you. I believe Jesus raised Lazarus from the tomb to show you, as it says up there, the promise of your resurrection life. That you have access to resurrection power because of Jesus Christ. Look at John 11 verse 25 again. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall also live. Jesus Christ raised Lazarus from the tomb, and for those of us that would call Jesus our friend and our saviour, he raised us from death. Not just about eternity after we leave this earth, it's about life now. What about Mary? Mary wastes all that perfume, but Jesus says, no, she anointed me for my burial. Did you know that for a Jewish woman, she needed to have her head covered, wrapped up, that her hair would not be let loose in public? For that was what the harlots did. No, the, the letting down of your hair and the bathing of, your, of a man was reserved for the bedroom. The sanctity, the, the intimacy of the marriage union between a husband and a wife. And I, I believe that Mary is symbolizing in her anointing of Jesus, her love and devotion for Jesus. I believe she's symbolizing the intimacy Jesus wants to have with us 
as the bridegroom. That we would have no holding back of who we are in intimacy with Jesus Christ. Partnership, union, fellowship, life together forever. We are one with him. For Jesus to ride on a donkey was not symbolizing a war victory, but a person who would come in peace. So when a king rode into a city, if they were on a horse, they were there for battle. But if they wanted to symbolize to the people that they were coming in peace, they would ride a donkey, because a donkey is not so good in battle. Hosanna, Hosanna to the king, the people cried. Hosanna, as they quote the prophet Zechariah. And Jesus says, yeah, I am a king. And I come in peace. And Jesus Christ is your king of peace. And I believe he's showing us that we can have peace when we're united with him. The Passover feast is a celebration, and it's a celebration, as I said before, of our deliverance. The Israelites were set free from slavery, from Egyptians. Pharaoh no longer had hold over them, and God said, I will set you free from bondage. And I believe as we celebrate the Passover feast, we're celebrating that no longer does sickness, no longer does death, no longer does isolation from God rule our world. We have victory, and we have victory because we're united with Christ. All these are signs, I believe, in the way that Jesus Christ made a way for us to receive our salvation. But here's the rub. One point. One thing for you to remember. And I'm going to say it slowly because I don't want you to miss it. Your preparation determines your experience. Your preparation determines your experience. Let's go back to Kathy's running success. What does her running career have to do with your Easter? Kathy's goal of running a half marathon could have ended in 21 kilometers of misery and suffering. Or it could have ended in two hours of enjoyment. The difference? Preparation. We spent hours on the road. Hours. Preparation which meant that she successfully completed her goals and enjoyed them along the way. Poor preparation just gives you a subpar outcome. If you don't turn up, you miss out. My nephew, Caleb, he loves rugby, and he goes to school so he can play rugby. You know what I mean? Like, learning's not high on his list. But what he loves more than rugby even is farming. From 14, he's got his own stock. At 15, he's hired by farmers on major, very large sheep stations in the Hawke's Bay to go and muster for them because he's a hard worker. And last winter, he got asked to go and muster the station and he's like, yep. And off he went at four in the morning to do it and didn't go to school. Saturday morning, he turns up to rugby with his boots and his gear because he loves rugby. You know what his coach said to him? 
you don't show up to practice, you don't get to play. He was devastated. And my brother, his dad, had to say, bro, if you don't do the preparation, you miss out. What does that have to do with your Easter? Your preparation determines your experience. Holy Week isn't just a whole bunch of rules that some church dude made up for him to have something to do. Jesus didn't lead us through these experiences just so we could have Easter eggs. Your preparation determines your experience, and if you don't show up, you miss out. What do you say? Miss out on what? Well, look at the screen. Every single one of these lessons, Jesus is pointing to life as we're supposed to experience it. Are you experiencing the resurrection power of Jesus Christ now in your day? Or are you watching from the sidelines? Your choice. The power of resurrection life, I say this often, it's more than a bus ticket to heaven. Your salvation is not just to get you in the door. Your salvation is actually expanding your world so that heaven becomes your reality now. That's why Lazarus was raised before Jesus was. Because he's saying, guys, this is how you're supposed to do it when heaven comes to earth. What about your intimacy with Jesus? Mary gives us a, a really big, extreme, intimate example of what it looks like to put aside reputation and what others think to worship Jesus as our lover. I mean, how was she scorned and what were the ladies saying about her at coffee group the next week when she'd let her hair down in public? Get with the program and the culture. Massive Massive risk of shame. She put it all aside because she says, this man here, he's my Lord and my Savior. And I don't care what anyone else thinks. I will give my life for him. And that's how we're supposed to live. What's your life of intimacy like with Jesus? Do you take the king of peace with you to work? Do you take the king of peace with you to your troubles? You take your king of peace with you when your kids are off the rails? Or are you wrapped up in anxiety and fear? Jesus rode into your life on a donkey. He's like, hey, I'm the king of peace. Paul talks about it. That the prince of peace would come. When we study the issues of deliverance, the Bible very clearly talks about strongholds. It's pointing to strongholds of the mind, which is thinking. And some colloquialism would call it stinking thinking. But how is, how is our mind when it comes to freedom from bondage? Are you still in Egypt? Or are you celebrating the Passover and the liberty that comes when the blood is placed over your door? Not the blood of a lamb that's got four legs, the blood of a lamb that's got two legs. His name's Jesus. You can live free from bondage. Your preparation determines your experience. Holy Week is all about us getting ourselves in the place where we embrace the cross in order that we might be worthy to wear the crown. Don't show up. You miss out. 
And, and please don't hear me. I'm not saying you show up to a meeting. I'm, I'm saying showing up to what he's invited you to. But there's some really good news I want to point to. Because that's, that's the setup. You've got to keep reading. Does anyone want the good news? Are you interested? Like, I mean, that's all right. But I'm saying there's better. John 14. So I've been doing this progressively. John 11, chapter 12, chapter 13. Turn the page. John 14. This is the rub. Jesus shows us there's an invitation for all. 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 Let me read you the first four verses of John. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you to myself. That's where I am. There you may be also. And where I go, you know. The way I go, you know. This is an invitation that Jesus makes to anybody that would hear. Not just those in here, those online, those that you talk to, those that you go to rugby with, those that you have meetings with, those that you share with. It's an invitation for all. I mean, if, I don't know who it is that might be listening to this that has never ever made a confession of faith in Jesus. It might be in this room, it might be years down the track, but someone's got to hear this. I remember a long time ago when, when I had made that decision, that I had come to the end of myself and I've gone, life sucks, and there's only got to be a better way, and I found that way was Jesus. And I, I, I did, I embraced the cross, despite the shame and the words of accusation and the, the reputation, I was like, it's gone, it's dead to me. I embraced the cross. And I was hanging out with my friend. Decision was still living the way we used to live. He was challenged by it, and he looked at me, and he says, you're different. He says, that Bible, now look like I'm a week saved, right? That Bible, he says, in John 14, it says, my unsaved friend, quoting scripture to me, a week I'm saved. And he says, you know, it says, my mum read it to me, and he's quoting the, the reference not just the words, the reference. So it must be in here. And he says to me that, my mum read it. And she said, it says in my father's house there's many rooms. I go and I make a room for you. I was like, oh. He said, what does it mean? Like I'm a week saved. I'm green. I'm stupid. And I haven't yet learned to partner with the Holy Spirit. So my answer was, God loves you, bro all I had my friend wanted to know where the room was that was prepared for him and some would say that room would be heaven that eternity is prepared that there's a mansion we can go to but that's not what I learned this week you want to see something in the words of Jesus I'm watching the clock but I've got this and I don't want to lose it look at the verse 2 my friend quotes this to me in my Father's house, there are many rooms. What a better translation would be, there are many dwelling places. 
So a dwelling place is a place of permanence. It's not a lodging, like a motel where you stay the night on a journey. It's not the, the house a friend sets up for you as you go to spend some time on holiday or for a celebration or a feast. It's a dwelling place. It's permanent. It's where we would dwell forever. And some think that's heaven. Let's have a look at the scriptures. So you've got to flick back to, to the word, because let's use, as Phil taught us last week, let's use the words of Jesus to prove the Bible to be true. So scripture proves scripture. That's what makes it authentic. So just swipe back or turn back to John chapter 2. If you're writing notes, it's John chapter 2 verse 13. Way back, three years before, it was the Passover feast, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. Same time of year. And he went and found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers doing business in the temple. And when he made a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen. He poured the, the money on the ground and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And the disciples remembered it was written in scripture that zeal for my house will consume me. Jews answered him and said, what sign do you show since you said these things? And Jesus said, well, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said, well, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it up in three days? Destroy this temple. Destroy this dwelling place. Destroy this place where you live for eternity. And if you keep reading, you find the punchline. Look at verse 20. The Jews said, it's taken us 46 years to build it. You're going to raise it in three days. But he was speaking of the temple, the dwelling place of his body. Jesus says, the dwelling place I have for you is Jesus. The, the Greek word there, I don't want to get into word definitions, but I do want to read this statement out, speaks metaphorically of the spiritual temple consisting of the saints of all ages who are joined together by Christ and in Christ. So in John chapter 14, verse 2, when Jesus says, I go to prepare a dwelling place for you, he's speaking of the need he has to go to the cross in order that the place for you to live in Christ would be prepared adequately for you to dwell there permanently. We are united by invitation. We are united into Christ. And then that gives a lot more context to verse 3 of chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 3. If I go and prepare a dwelling place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am you may also be. So Jesus is saying, tomorrow, guys, I'm going to go. I've got to go. I have to go. I've got to prepare something. I've got to prepare the way for your coming salvation, but I'm going to come and I'm going to receive you into myself. Our dwelling place, where we're all invited to live, is in Christ. In Christ. Connection, relationship. That's where we're supposed to dwell. Each one of us invited by Jesus, and someone in your world needs to hear this invitation. Jesus says in verse 4, 
Where I'm going, you know. You know the way. Jesus went to the cross the very next day. The cross is the way. The cross is the way for us to dwell for eternity in Christ, in him, that we would experience all those things I shared before, the resurrection power, the intimacy of marriage, the, um, the, the, the king of peace, and deliverance for eternity. It's a fundamental truth. It's like faith 101. This is necessary that you embrace the cross of Christ, that you would be worthy to wear the crown of Christ. Your preparation is what determines your experience. If you turn up, you don't miss out. And there's one more thing. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to share it because it's too good to miss. John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 34. I, I cut this out last week and I put it back in yesterday because it's too good for you to be robbed John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus speaks to the disciples. I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever. A slave does not dwell in that place of eternity. But a son, a son abides forever. See, when we embrace the cross of Christ, we come to that place whereby which we are no longer a slave, but we are a son or daughter. It's the cross of Christ. Because then he says, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I say all of this to say the fundamental of our faith is that we would prepare ourselves for our coming salvation. To prepare ourselves means to embrace the cross of Christ, to recognize who he is and who we are because of who he is, that we would have life as he has prepared for us. Don't sit on the sidelines. Don't miss out. You can be saved for your entire life and still miss out on the fact that Jesus is the king of peace. You can go to Bible school and not learn that the resurrection power is for now. Get a revelation of who Jesus is. And so, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to put this slide back up, and I'm just going to say to you, what are you going to do this week to connect, to prepare yourself for next weekend? What are you going to meditate on? What are you going to read? Who are you going to talk to? How are you going to pray? Because your preparation determines your experience. And it's my hope that we would have an expanding experience of who Jesus is, not confined to our knowledge, but burst open because of our experience, our relational experience with him.